All right, and welcome back. Thanks again for joining us. And we are super excited about today. But before we get to it, make sure to go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever basically podcast platform you're listening on today. Give us a rating and review. It doesn't have to be five stars. It can just be what you're thinking, what you want, what more we can bring you. But we know you're going to love today's show because we have Kyle Jones on the show. Hey, Kyle, how you doing? Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm doing great, man. So Kyle and I first connected, man, what, what a few years ago when I was down yeah. there in Houston visiting. So awesome times, but so much has happened for Kyle. But here's a quick recap of what he's been up to. Kyle Jones is co-founder and key principal of TruePoint Capital, which currently owns just over 900 units. He's responsible for the company's strategic planning, investment decisions, asset management, and overseeing all aspects of the company's financial activities and operations. And it offers closed-in private equity funds with attractive risk-adjusted returns for qualified investors in private real estate market through diversified investment options. And for this, he's also with a global sales leader for a large fortune 100 technology company. We just talked offline. He also has a family, three kids, and he's also now started a home appraisal management company because he said he just didn't have enough to do. And so <laughs> that's also on the agenda for today. So Kyle, thanks for diving in here. But Give us a little feedback here. Before there was the Kyle who had 900 units, what led up to wanting to do this and was the first step to get in to do this? Yeah, so just real quick, thanks again for having me. Um, you've had some five-star guests, so happy to, to be a part of it. But um, I'm glad you're one of them now, so let's <laughs> do this. So I, I, was, I was a guy that got turned on to real estate kind of in college just through watching the HGTV stuff. Um, we had a lot of free time, um, nights in hotel rooms. I played baseball, so I was on the road a lot. We end up watching, uh, flip this house. I mean, I vividly remember that. So early on that got me turned on to, Hey, that could be a means to an end someday and never really did anything with that. Uh, graduated and really just jumped right into corporate America. So before that, I was just, or, or before real estate, I was just living the corporate life and, and still am to an extent, right? Uh, trying to climb the corporate ladder at, at one point, uh, just really kind of following in my dad's footsteps. Uh, long time uh, technology sales uh, individual, had all types of roles, uh, executive level roles that he had. And so saw that and, and just kind of fell right in line with that in the sales capacity. Um, and then it really wasn't until I started making a little bit more money and, you know, started having some high commissions and just wanted to try to find a way to uh, put it to work and was it, didn't know anything about stocks. I've never been interested in stocks. Uh, still don't, don't really understand how to even invest in that. Uh, so I, I just, I don't, I don't do much in there outside of my 401k. Um, but knew I wanted something else. And that's really what turned me back on real estate started really doing a lot of research at a time. Uh, when I started having some of this capital come in. Uh, but really, I would say what kickstarted and pushed me in motion was actually seeing my dad get laid off. Um, you know, he's at the time he was uh, early 60s. Uh, he got more or less uh, pushed out from the, the, the company that he was working for at the time, which is a you know, global 100 company. Um, and just had a really hard time finding a job. You know, wasn't ready to retire. Um, you know, still had another five years or so left in him. And uh, it took him a long time to 
really find something that could, you know, just close a gap for them until that retirement age. And when I saw that, that's when I really made the decision to take the action to actually start purchasing property. So I had, I had done a bunch of research up to that point, talked to a bunch of people, networked a ton, just never done anything until that point. And then uh, finally just jumped in and started buying, uh, at the time, started buying single families. You know, that's an awesome story. And I mean, that's a hard lesson for your dad. I'm sorry you had to go through that. But just for you being that pinnacle moment, it, it really stands out, right? That, that we're all susceptible to if we have a job to what could happen to the other job. And you can love the job. There's nothing wrong with having a job and it can bring a lot of luxuries into doing multifamily and others because you do have to have a balance sheet. You do have to have some record that you actually have some proof that you can commit in some way. So going out there and I, we see a lot of focus on, oh, I want to quit my job. Well, jumping out of the job kind of puts you out into this, this ocean, right? And this yeah. ocean really give you a background. So for your dad, I'm glad he was able to find something to fill the gap. But that, that, that was a great point for you to really just say, great, well, how am I going to avoid it or really just take away the, the ability for someone else to make decisions for me? So well, I think too, what, the, what really helped for me is because I have, you know, I'm married and I've got three kids. Um, that using that as, as a way to say, hey, this is, this is why I've been doing all this research. I think there could be something long-term here. I don't ever want to have to be tied to a corporate job. I mean, I, I actually have been laid off before early on in my career. I was single at the time, so it didn't make a huge impact to me. Um, but that sold my wife, you know, and, and now she was bought into uh, opening up and, and being more, uh, not that she wasn't supportive, but now she was like, okay, go, go get it done type thing. Yeah. If you have, if you're listening and you have one stream of income, fine, that's fine, but you're susceptible, right? You yeah. having the opportunity to do more. And what I like about this is you said, I'm not just going to go out there and just throw at the wall and invest in stocks and all these things that I have no idea how to do and just put money in places where it just is still risky, right? Cause you're just hoping in that aspect. I'm, I've been doing the homework for real estate. So I'm going to dive in. So how far along did you go with, with, other investments in real estate before you dove into large multifamily? It didn't take long um, because I, I, I tried to, I had, you know, virtually, you know, had some good years on the corporate side. So had some bonuses, had some, some uh, money saved up, but went out and bought a few homes all at once kind of thing. And it just, it, it uh, overworked me big time. I mean, cause we were trying to rehab them and everything too. And it was the flipping strategy. And then I, I, really sat back after those were done. Um, and it was like, this is not, this is not scalable, uh, at least what I could have handled at the time. So that's really what I started looking at, uh, multifamily. And I was already, uh, doing some homework on it prior to that, just cause I was trying to learn all aspects, even, you know, shopping centers and, you know, hard money lending and things like that too. So I was looking at everything, um, but then really just kind of focused and honed in on multifamily started, you know, started with buying a small one, um, you know, just using our own capital and, and now, you know, slowly built up to the point where we're raising capital. And that's really all we focus on now is raising private capital to purchase large multifamily. 
Yeah, that's amazing. We have a similar story there is that we wanted to get back our time because, you know, our family businesses, we were so busy that we wanted to really find a way that we could accompany that with something that was going to take our time. And then we started flipping through the airplanes. Well, and it occurred to us, well, we just gave ourselves another job. Yeah. And that was <laughs> leading us farther away from that destination point. But you have to take that leap into it to just to find it out, right? Because learning about it from every step and you'll see people, you know, even our meetup, they come meet up to meet up to meet up. And I say, guys, you got to go out there and use it or it's it's just a waste of you showing up tonight because you may think you like this and learn everything about it in the first day that you're out there flipping homes you you realize you hate contractors or something else occurs and everything else from that point or you have everything just in one property and it's either yeah. money or no money with that and you may find that it wasn't but just reading and learning for a full year you have to implement so you get into this first property here. Now, you, now you're raising funds for others. Talk to us about the first large one. What were some of the steps to find it, to build the team, and to get it done? Yeah, so um, my strategy, even still to this day, for finding deals is nothing unique. It's just building relationships with brokers. Uh, I use my corporate sales life to, you know, the, the way that I build relationships with customers to, to sell our products. I take that same skills and just try to focus on building rapport with brokers as well. So uh, that's really what I did uh, to transition it to the larger multifamily. So I did the whole, you know, looked on LoopNet, found the brokers in the market that I was interested in and just flew out there. Um, I think that that's a big part of just building immediate rapport with a broker that especially is in another market where you just show up and you're talking to them face to face versus just, somebody behind an email or on the phone. And so, you know, of course the deals that I was going there that I used to go out there to look at on LoopNet, you know, they weren't anything special. But when we went back to his office, we sat down, you know, the whole, really the whole day. And for the next two hours, we were just going through his pipeline in a way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, things that they already had kind of under their own, um, you know, commitment letters with the sellers, they're going to sell them. Uh, but they didn't have all the information ready. So he, I'd get like pieces of the financials. And I had he gave me about uh, for seven properties gave me financials on seven properties that he hadn't wow. listed yet. I basically said, Hey, you're, you know, right place, right time. Here's yeah. all these. And one of those was the one that uh, it was 56 units. And that's the first one that we raised capital on. See, and that's an awesome story right there because people would say, well, you got lucky. No, you were prepared and you went in there and you yeah. did something, right? Because I'm sure that broker gets like literally 30 calls a week of people who want to buy properties. They'll never come to the market and he may not hear from 29 of them again. And the one who's just yeah. trying to do phone calls, well, he still doesn't know if this person's real, right? It could just be somebody who's on somebody's team who just calls and they're never really going to make an offer. They're just fishing. And brokers, I mean, let's be honest, they make money so on really selling properties. So right. they have to find who's going to be the right person to put the time into. So you going there, it really just solidifies that, right? And it steps up and you walk out with seven properties to look at. One, you can actually go on there. Totally. And it's funny because- Brokers won't have anything and all of a sudden you're coming to a market and then there's seven properties they have or five <laughs> properties. they have. It's, It always happens like that. So, yeah. you know, it, it, take what Kyle said here. It, it, it's, there isn't magic and there's no unicorn in real estate. It's just doing the steps. And so many yeah. times we're looking for the easy way, right? Like, like multifamily. I hear everybody talking about like things like Airbnb now. It's like, well, we'll just focus on the process. If you can do Airbnb later, cool. That might be a cool context to add in, but don't just focus on that just because it seems like some unicorn. Yeah. 
Totally. It's the basics. It's yeah. just that, you know, stick it to the basics and uh, really the core of how you would treat another person is no different than how you would treat a broker. You know, somebody yeah. that you were trying to build a, race, a relationship with, you know, your neighbor or somebody, you're going to follow up with them. You're going to check in and see how they're doing. Use those same skills and basic skills that you learned, you know, in elementary age to, you know, just treat people the way you want to be treated and follow up and act interested. If you really are interested in, in, and get out there and doing deals. So talk to me about that 56 unit, you know, exciting property, right? You get into it, you're ready to go. Would you do with it? You still have it. What's the process? So we're actually in the process of selling it. Just got it under contract this week, as a matter of fact. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it was, uh, it ended up being a little tougher than anticipated, uh, just because we had to evict quite a few people that was not, you know, we weren't prepared for initially going in. Um, now the good part of the, about it was, you know, when we were placing people back in the units after renovations, cause we, it was a light renovation plan. Um, you know, 56 units, you could turn that over pretty quickly, you know, year, year and a half. Uh, so that was the goal. And, but had an influx. I mean, almost, we took occupancy down to 50% within the first three months. So uh, 56 units, you know, 20 plus units. And when we were placing them back in though, we were putting them in at our year three projected rents. Oh, awesome. So we had a good story to tell our investors. So it was like, Hey guys, we got to hold off on these distributions for a little bit, but here's the good news. We're creating immediate value and you know, when we can get through these and, and place people back in there, it's going to be humming. And, you know, sure enough that it took about six months or so before we could build occupancy back up to uh, 90 plus percent and ended up hanging on to it for, you know, some time, just letting it ride out. Another 50% of the units were longtime residents. And oh. so we didn't want to force them out necessarily, but as you know, the people who were laid and, you know, consistently we started non-renewing them so that we could turn over their unit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then, you know, now here we are fast forward where, where we put it up for sale and um, we basically, uh, I mean, we bought it at 30 a door and now we're selling it at close to 50. So oh, cool. what a good story um, right there. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, just, just doing the basic blocking tackling, but, you know, that's, there were, there were other lessons learned in that and just how to deal with a bad property manager. Cause the property sure. manager that we got in there too, uh, initially they did a, they did a good job getting the wrong people out, yeah. but they weren't staying on top of the project plan. They weren't turning units fast enough. So we just kind of had a lot of dead time in there Got it. and, um, you know, just got somebody who was more capable to, to come in there and, and do, you know, a number of units all at once versus just, you know, focusing on one, turning one unit every four weeks is kind of what oh, they wow. were averaging. Yeah. With, so, with 20, 25 yeah. <laughs> 28 units on the side. So, so talk to me about if you started this property over again with the, you know, the vacancy up to uptick right there, is there, is there anything you would have done differently or just for a learning lesson for someone going forward that, that may come in there and not expect the high vacancy and it, and it just happens, right? You're, you're taking on 50, hundred, 200 people who, who were not your tenants. You didn't screen them. You're literally yeah. walking in, right? So can this happen? Yes, it's going to happen. It just, how do we prepare correctly for it? Yeah. I think the, the, the first thing is probably just raising up uh, additional capital, you know, a little bit more, maybe 10 to 15% more, uh, even if it's going to affect the returns 
10 to 15% more is not going to affect them that much more, but just having a comfortable reserve account set aside because what we encountered was we were, uh, we actually were using a bridge loan and you know, it's on a draw schedule. So you've got to have the cash to do the repairs first and then you get reimbursed. Well, sometimes you're just caught if you don't have enough cash uh, or if, you know, in that case, we went through a, a, most of our capital that we had set aside right away. So we were just kind of waiting, you know, we, we do a bunch of units and then we'd wait and it would take, you know, maybe two weeks for the inspector to come out and then hmm. another week to get the draw request finalized and then actually have money in our bank just to do it all over again. Yeah. If and we could have had a great point, yeah. right? Cause you want to know that timeline. Like if you're working with a loan, whether it's an agency loan or if there's some kind of draw process in there, you want to have guidance of how long that takes. And trust me, you better totally. tack on an extra two, three weeks, right? Cause <laughs> it never happens as quickly as it, as you want it. Yeah. And you got to stay on top of it too, yep. because a lot of these bridge lenders, they're not, you know, some of them are, are, are big shops, but a lot of them too, it's maybe a couple people that are handling, um, you know, their entire books as far as draw requests. So they've got, they have a lot going on and you just got to keep following up, keep following up, making sure that you're doing everything so that you're not holding it up and then just keep following up to get your money back. Yeah. I love that. And that, that just great lessons all around, right? Cause on that point, and what you said earlier is that it's not going to affect returns that much. And honestly, if it, if it does, then the deal doesn't work in the first place. Exactly. So you, so you want to bring some <laughs> extra capital to the table and you see a lot of people get hurt where, you know, especially if it is an ancient loan, there's going to be a lender required repairs that come to and they, they, people don't budget for that. Right. And so they're coming to closing and the lender says, Oh, here's an additional 50, $75,000 worth of repairs that you have to make. And lots of times people aren't capitalized for that. So totally. make sure you ask the right questions and go forward with that. But that, that's, that's a, huge home run so really congratulations yeah. on that property and you've it. done a lot more going forward so talk to us about what gave you the next steps to really just do more i mean a lot of people are get scared right just yeah. oh, i'll try the 50 and then okay i kind of feel comfortable in that and here you are in the last couple of years now we're up to 900 well i think for me because i'm uh, more out on the front end out there getting deals uh, or sourcing deals and doing things like that uh, as well uh, as the operation side of it, but it just had, you know, it, 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 it is true what they say. Once you do one deal with a broker, it, you know, the floodgates kind of open up. Yeah. And so that's what happened. And so I was starting to get first looks at a lot of properties, even if they were going out to market, I was usually getting a couple weeks lead time to try to preempt the seller to, to not go to the full process. And you know, that's essentially kind of what's happened. And, and every year it has, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. And then, and then, you know, other brokers start to know who you are too, because you start doing more deals and they're out there doing the cold calling as well. They're cold calling owners. Yeah. And you know, they, they start, you know, catching on to, Hey, this guy's doing a lot of deals. He's, he's buying up all these properties. Yeah. I know that property or, or they might have a story. Yeah. I was trying to get that property listed, but this other broker got it. And so, hmm. um, you know, so, you know, now it's just a, a gateway to having access to all sorts of uh, deals and, you know, just really from that point, just executing on the ones that you want or that you think uh, you could raise capital for. And so, yeah. So talk to me about the, the follow-up process with brokers, right? Because I'm sure people would be curious how frequent, you know, you're, we're not closing on properties every week. So how frequently are you reaching out just to keep in front of them? So it just kind of depends on if they have 
uh, active, like if we're talking about an active property, if, if let's just say if they have no properties that we're talking about at all, maybe once every two to three weeks, I'm just calling them, checking in. Um, but if they have active properties where, you know, I know that they're talking to a specific seller or, you know, maybe they can't disclose too much, but they can say, Hey, I've got this one, you know, it's 150 units or so, uh, you know, we should have more information by X date. And I'm definitely following up with that broker more frequently, you know, yeah. maybe even once or twice a week, uh, definitely once a week, maybe even twice a week, depending on what kind of feedback they're giving me. Um, and you want to balance that too, right? You don't want to be the annoying person who's just calling to, to call. Uh, and especially if you haven't met the person face to face, you know, that might change the way I would follow up too. Um, just to be, you know, kind of like I was saying earlier, not being necessarily the annoying person that's calling and, you know, this guy's like, Hey, I've never even met you. I don't even know if you're real, like you were saying earlier, but it's a lot different because I'll go in there. And, and especially now when I go into the markets where we own, I'm trying to meet with every broker I can that's available so that they can put a face to a name as well. Um, invite them to come walk my properties or, you know, we'll meet at the office on one of my properties and, uh, and they love that. They love that because, you know, you're not misleading them in any way, but they know at some point you're going to want to sell that property too. So they're very interested in taking the time to meet with you, especially if you own a couple properties. Yeah, that's great. Great points right there. So what's the big picture for, for really true point capital? What are, what are the next steps here and what's the main focus going forward? We're right now we're still looking at a lot of deals and, and, and we're even opening our eyes up to some other, um, asset classes within the commercial real estate game. Uh, we've got a couple of unique things coming down the line. I've got a ground lease situation um, for one of my buddies. Uh, he's, it's, a, it's a startup venture, but it's, it's backed by a couple of pretty solid uh, partners and one of them being uh, Texas A&M University. So, um, but, uh, and that's just a ground lease. And then we're looking at um, just self-storage as well. So we've, we've looked at a couple deals. I've got a, a buddy of mine that I went to high school with, he's a self-storage broker. So I've been spending a lot of time with him over the last couple of years as well. Um, you know, we're, we still like multifamily, right? I think we're just facing the challenge for that. A lot of other people are facing where cap rates are getting really compressed and, you know, we're, we want to do the right deals uh, more so than just doing deals to do deals. Cause we don't have a fund or anything. So we don't have to deploy a bunch of capital. We're just, listening to our investors on what they're, what, what kind of returns they want and, and what they want to see. And a lot of them are not necessarily tied to just multifamily. So um, it's allowed us to be a little bit flexible in what we're looking at. So yeah, that's great points, right? They, yeah. they, they're aligned with you because you're doing the right thing. You're, you're talking to them, you're being upfront with them, you're learning what they want. And so ultimately they're looking at what kind of guidance they can get from you. Yeah. So Kyle, this has been awesome, man. Thanks yeah. so, so much for coming on the show. For others who want to reach out, learn more about you, learn more about your ninja techniques that you're going in there to find these deals and scale so quickly. What's the best way to connect? Yeah, they can, uh, they can email me directly. My email is kjones at truepointcap.com. Uh, or they can check us out on our website. It's just truepointcap.com. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of on all the social media platforms as well. Awesome. This has been a great show. Thanks so much for yeah. coming on the show with us. No, thanks for having me. And for everyone listening, again, make sure you go over to 
podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it these days, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to this, give us a ratings review. Tell us what we can do better. Reach out for us. Connect with us at info at yarusiholdings.com. We always love to hear from you as well. And we want to thank Kyle Jones for coming on the show. Have a great day now.